Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Certified Forgotten. It is the end of 2023. We have checked. We're still the only podcast that talks about movies with 10 or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. We haven't spawned an imitator yet, um, which frankly makes me feel like we're not doing as well as we can. My name is Matt Monagle. I'm one half of your Matt hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in the... I've been playing with calling it the Certified Forgotten Entertainment Network, which sounds big boy fancy, so I'm going to go with that. My partner in the Certified Forgotten Entertainment Network, Matt Donato, who is home for the holidays. It's a fucking lifetime movie in New Jersey, baby. Yes, I am home for the holidays, and if there are any technical issues with this episode, please blame that on me. I love my parents very dearly, but their router is a potato, and I don't know how to deal with that. And remind me, you are you're disparaging your parents' internet in the living room in front of your parents, correct? Because that's the only place where you can get a connection? No, absolutely not. I am right now on the porch in about 30-degree weather, uh, bundled up as best as I can, so I can have silence and a little bit of Wi-Fi that works here. Great. Then I'll be sure to slow the pace of my conversation way, way down. Thank you. Uh, We're here. We're rounding out the year. We're feeling nostalgic. And we're turning back the clock pretty much goddamn all the way to the beginning of the Certified Forgotten Podcast and bringing up a guest, bringing back a guest who was here in episode five, which is wild to think of three, four years later. Uh, He doesn't need, we always say they they need no introduction. I don't think this guest actually does need an introduction. But Tanada, will you please uh, introduce him anyways? That's so funny because my introduction was going to be, this is a man that needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give him one. It's Rob Hunter. Can I get a better introduction, please? You can do, uh, you requested a do-over, Matthew. Go ahead. Fine. Coming back to the Certified Forgotten Podcast for the second time is a man who writes for Film School Rejects, one of my good friends in the industry who we go to festivals all the time. He's my other favorite father in the industry, Mr. Rob Hunter. There we go. That's a good, not, not Donato's father, but, but I understand what you meant. Um, and I, I should also say, I, I don't feel like it's my job to introduce the guests, but a former co-podcast host as well for, for you, Donato, correct? Oh, uh, he, he's, he's, he's tried putting that well behind him. So <laughs> he barely even discusses it with us, but yes, thank you. My name is Rob Hunter. I write for Film School Rejects and I'm back again for the second time. I've been waiting on this invite a long, long time, but I did pretty good that first time, but you know. I guess it's a tough crowd, but I'm happy to be back. It is wild to think that it's been almost 70 episodes. And I mean, that's just for us. Like, it's it's, it's wild for me to sit here and be like, it has been a long time because it did not feel like that long. And all of a sudden it's, we got 70 episodes in the can and you're back. Finally, finally, finally. Yes. So Rob, you were, you joined us previously in August of 2019, which it doesn't seem like, again, it's 70 episodes. It doesn't seem like that long time ago. You know, there are these podcasts that are in episode 500th or whatever in year two because they pump out, you know, two, three episodes a week. But I mean, that was a pandemic ago. That was a parenthood ago. That was like total seismic shift in the industry ago. I, I'm i going to go back after we finish recording and listen to that episode. And I'm just going to, I'm going to listen for that little sparkle of joy pre-pandemic that I heard in your voice, Rob. And then I'm going to compare that to, to you today and be like, oh, he lost something. He just never got back. I uh, I would challenge you and say that you're not going to find that because I have still got a spark of joy. Currently, though, it's my daughter, less so podcasts. But um, uh, but yeah, no, I'm still very excited. Very excited to be here. Very excited to be talking about movies. Very excited that I survived the pandemic. 
Uh, so I, I, I have no complaints. And so I am still overflowing with the, the joy you speak of. The so cat if, if you uh, we're getting premium, premium cattail, if you, uh, if you could see the video right now, uh, as a return guest, we're not going to go through and kind of uh, rehash Rob's history with the horror genre, his, the early films that were formative for him. If you want to listen to those, I, I really do recommend you go back and listen to episode five. It is my favorite slasher of all time. It's called Prey 2. So it's a really great conversation, a really great film. Um, and you'll get to hear kind of Rob's history with the industry as well. But for this episode, since we are at the end of the year and Rob, since you are the 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 king of lists, um, you know every year at Film School Rejects, uh, you and your team do thirty days of lists. Not thirty days of horror film, but like thirty days of lists. List building is is kind of your superpower. I want to talk about end of the year top tens, best of, and how as a as a working film critic, you're able to sort of start digging into the piles of screeners to all of those links that the smaller studios send you. How do you start when you when you reach like October November? How do you start making sense of what your end of the year lists and big picture stuff is going to look like? Uh, well, I will say that it helps that I do cover film festivals throughout the year because a lot of these movies, um, Sundance especially, but have played film fests uh, and then, you know, get like their, you know, limited theatrical release by the end of the year, uh, sometimes at best. Um, so it helps that I've seen some things in advance. That's always going to be a plus and everybody should be going to film festivals. Um but also, I mean, honestly, you've got to prioritize and you're always going to have to because no matter what anybody says, you're never going to see everything that's up for contention every year. Mm -hmm. Whether you're genre or whether you're covering all the movies, whatever it might be, you're just not going to see it all. Um, so you've got to prioritize. And to do that, I mean, you're going to go off. I, I try and avoid what other people think about things, um, but sometimes you have to like take into account like, okay, is everybody dogging one movie and loving one you know, there's nobody talking about, you know, movie A, but like praising movie B. Right. Um, figuring out from that, I, I go to, I will go to people that I have come to trust. Um, sometimes I'll also go to Donato and see what he's liking and talking about. <laughs> I find that helps. Um, and then, you know, you just, you just go on from there and then you prioritize and you've got to say, okay, I've got an afternoon or I've got an evening. So like this time of year, I will try and watch like one or two um, uh, contenders, you know, per, per day. Um and that's the best I can do. <laughs> but I mean, you started late in October, you got it through the month of November and through December, um, you know, and you just, again, prioritize. There's really, there's no trick to it. It's just a matter of like, you know, paying attention to what, what's, 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 you know, being talked about. So, you know, what's actually going to be a contender, what's actually worthwhile. Um, you go off, you know, talents that, you know, you like, you focus on them. Mm -hmm. You just, just got to like, look at the field and kind of narrow it down yourself. Yeah, and it's becoming so much harder uh, in a way because, like, not to complain. This is like first world critic problems and all that. But because of the rise to prominence of streaming, uh, this is no longer just a theatrical kind of, hey, what came out in theaters? We're voting on a scenario anymore. And it would be, you know, again, the rise of streaming and how much content it's turning out. I do feel like what Rob said, like, you know, to piggyback back off that, I feel exactly like I have to go to the people I trust, see what they're seeing, see what they're liking. But something I noticed this year and something that some other people are pointing out is that a lot of the critics groups are looking a little bit more similar. I'm not saying they're copying or anything that way, but like just in the way that we're seeing a few more movies get the same blanket treatment versus I think what we used to get a little ways. And I think that's because there is so much, it's impossible to see everything by the deadline. 
And you do, you just have to kind of go off of what the consensus is saying. But I think the back end of that or the, you know, the kind of reaction to that is the consensus is becoming what's like kind of running things. I do think too, that the, um, I, I agree with you that you get a lot of the same, same feeling between lists. Um, but you do always notice, at least I always notice the different critics groups such as that. They'll always have like one or two kind of like, you know, you know, off the wall choices where you can tell that the process is that we got to pick something that's going to make us stand out. That's going to like, you know, get the kind of the tension. Um, so they have all the usual, you know, offenders on there, but then boom, there's something kind of oddball. But I mean, if, if you, you know, believe in it and support it, I mean, it's, it's because ultimately these are all subjective lists regardless of what anybody else might think. So you, you, you pick and choose what you got to pick and choose and then stand by it. So. So when you're, when you're putting together lists, either whether you're, you're, you know, you're writing for a site, you're part of a critical body, you know, you're, you're submitting a ballot in some kind of context. I'm curious if you think you, let's say you've seen enough stuff and you're feeling kind of confident about like, oh, I've got some things that I want to put out there. You know, most of these lists will say, put three titles, put five titles, right? And then when you get the pool built up, then they'll say, okay, now we're going to choose from among the top selections, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious, Rob, how you approach that. If your goal in doing that is to pick the things that you think will win out, if it's to pick the things you know nobody else is going to pick, but you're like, I at least want to get them on the ballot. Because I know when I turned in um, the first of the two ballots I have, I had to do like uh, the Austin Chronicle list of like best performances. I put down uh, Alyssa Sutherland for Evil Dead Rise and Lizzie Kaplan for Cobweb for you know best actress, which I, are not I, nobody cares. I, I put down Russell Crowe for best actor in The Pope's Exorcist. Oh yes, that's so, why you're a guest on the show. So I mean, yeah, but talk to me about that process of like figuring out you know using those kind of like nomination things that you have. Are you prioritizing? Like, will you pick stuff that you don't think is as objectively good just because you're like, I want to have like, I don't know if Cobweb is better than like, you know, some of the the prestige performances from the the best movies. But I was like, I want to get Lizzie. Ka- I want Lizzie Kaplan to walk away with one vote from this body. I I, I think for, for me, what I'll do is so like traditionally speaking, like you said, they're going to say, hey, give us your top three. Give us your top five. I'm not actually giving them my top three or my top five. Um, and And that's usually because at least half of those are going to be on everybody's top three, top five. Like, you know, like this year, like Oppenheimer mm. is on everybody's like critical, you know, lists. I'm not going to put it in my top three or top five that I submit to CCA um, because I know it's already, it's covered. That right. one's good. So I'm going to pick other movies, um, ones I do believe in, ones I would love to see, you know, nominated, ones I would love to see win, ones I definitely want to see represented. Um, but I'm going to pick those in the hope that other people maybe thought similarly and it's enough to kind of get it into the conversation. Um so if again, if I was actually ranking myself, it wouldn't be my top three, but these are the ones that I want to, you know, m- make sure are, are are seen and heard. Um, and then hopefully some of them come through. Now, obviously, Russell Crowe is never going to, you know, actually come through as a nominee for, for best actor. I do firmly believe in that. I would I would have yep. loved him to be up there, but um, you know, but I mean it's you, you pick the ones that you believe in. At least I pick the ones that I believe in as opposed to the ones that I think will win. Because Part of that is I ultimately don't care who wins. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, it'd be great for the talents, obviously, and I want them to succeed. I want them to get the moment in the, in the sun, but I don't really care. So I, I'm going to vote for things that I want to win, the ones I believe should win. Um, and if they do great, if they don't get nominated, you know, oh, well, so be it. Uh, I, I'm going to kind of go off of that. And that's my priority with the lists. Um, to your earlier question, though, also, I would add that it's only ever complicated in the when you're looking at the broad um, movie coverage, and, and Matt can I'm sure concur on this with 
the uh, CCA stuff or with other stuff. Whereas the genre list, for me at least, I find a lot easier um, because unlike the regular movies or the prestige movies, they're not all being held until the you know end of the year when you have to wait on screeners. Right. I've been able to see these things throughout the year. You know, they're not being held for this special spot. So I'm able to see a lot more um, contenders in the genre categories. It's just these, you know, the, the higher profile prestige stuff that you can end up in the crunch. And you probably yeah, becoming... sorry, did I real quick to your earlier point too, Rob, like a lot of the stuff that is up for best horror this year played at 2022 Fantastic Fest, 2022 Fantasia, maybe Toronto. So you've already not only have you already seen them, you probably already saw them before the calendar year that they're going to be nominated. Yeah, festivals, festivals. I mean, they absolutely are, are, are massive help. I, I do differ with with Donato and most people on on how I um what I include on this. Like I I will for my genre lists. I will if I see something at a festival, it's fair game. Um, and my reasoning is that I want to get the word out. I want to, you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, a movie that played festival this year that hasn't gotten released yet, it's on my, you know, best horror list. Um, it'll get released next year. But again, this way it gets, it's kind of gets the title out there, gets people talking about it. And that's what I'm after. And I'll mention it again in next year's list. Um, but this is the year that it actually released and hit eyeballs. This is the year I'm going to cover it. Now, the big actual list of, you know, these are the best films of the year. For that one, I do stick to like U.S. release dates because I I don't know why, but but um, yeah, yeah, that's that's always been the, the argument me and Rob have of like, because uh, I do the opposite. Like, if I see something at a festival, it gets pushed into next year for my best of list. Uh, you know, if I see it in festival twenty twenty three, it doesn't have distro until twenty twenty four. It'll be on my best of twenty twenty four horror. But it, it, I guess the the mentality in my mind is if you cannot actually see it then I, I i don't think it should be on the list because i shouldn't tell you hey this movie effing rules but you're gonna forget about it by the time the next by the time it comes out for distribution so like i'd rather i don't know that's, that's... I, I i understand and i can respect this i'm not gonna get, get you know give you shit for it but one you're getting the, the word out there as the movie has actually been you know hitting festivals so that's important two when the movie does get released you talk about it again. You say, hey, this made my list last year. So, I mean, it's still getting talked about. And three, there are movies that play festivals and never get a U.S. release. So does that mean it's never going to you know, qualify for one of your lists and you're never going to talk about it? And that, to me, is a, a downside. So, like, Plan B, great German action film from fucking, like, like seven years ago, six years ago. Never got a U.S. release. But I had it on my, on my um, you know, best action of, of the year list. Uh, I've talked about it ever since. Um, I keep talking about it still is yet to get a American release. Yeah, that was Norway for me. Uh, the one that Henderson actually released on yeah. Terrorvision, one of his first mm-hmm. Terrorvision uh, exclusives. It was on my best of, I guess that was 2021, 2022 horror list. But I saw it at 2014 Fantastica. So like, yeah, you are, you are correct on that, Rob. Like that is a unfortunate byproduct of that. And, you know, the, the other thing is I think some sites too, I unfortunately had some like back and forth with some sites about Project Wolf Hunting because it had an October release last year, but all the sites were like, oh, it just had a little release. It doesn't count. Do it next year. And I'm like, what do you mean? It came out this year. Like, this is the year it came out. I want to tell people that this movie rules and it'll be cool when it hits Screenbox. But, you know, I want to tell them about it. So, like, I, it just feels like the lines are blurring so much. And again, that, that's mm-hmm. even just for horror where Rob is 100% correct. Like, festivals are so good for catching up with horror films and keeping up on top of them. And I think it's, I feel like critics have to become more specialists in a way. Like, 
if you're doing the awards prestige stuff, that's what you're focusing on throughout the year. Uh, I think you know, most of us are paying a lot more attention to horror. So like, yeah, my horror list at the end of every year, I've seen a hundred plus new horror movies. Like it's a thorough list versus the catch up. So like, I, yeah, you just have to like, it, weirdly enough, it's becoming to the point where you have to pick a lane and make sure that's what you're really sticking to all year. Because like when it comes into year, like that's my list. So I'm doing best kills. I'm doing best this, best that, but it's all horror related. And it's like, that's my shit. And at the same time, then I start getting award screeners and I'm watching five movies a day just to find right. some kind of like balance yeah. there. Well, there's there's so many of these sites that um put out, especially when it comes to the genre stuff. And uh, I'm not, oh, not going to name individual sites that will put out these lists of best action or best, you know, horror, whatever. And um and you, it's just you can tell even at the, the slightest of glances that this is not their lane. This is not what they're used to. They're picking things that like they, they quickly Googled horror, you know, in 2023, and, you know, grab some movies. Um and uh, and again, whatever, that's fine. It's their site. Do what you want to do, whatever. Um, but you I mean to your point about being specialist, I mean, that's that's kind of the joy of it, of you know, why your lists are good, Matt, why mine are even better. Um <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, because we do see a lot of the stuff, and so we're not seeing just the stuff that got you know wide release in theaters. We're seeing a lot of this individual little like goofball weird shit that played at festivals that maybe got dropped on VOD or showed up on Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever. Um and that I think is it's it's good for us, it's good for the movies, and it's good for you know the readers to to find new stuff. So along those lines, Rob, back when I was writing for Film School Rejects um, regularly, I you guessed it on this, so you'll remember had the podcast that I also did for the site for a while, which was that before and after premise, where we talk about a movie before both critics had seen it, talk about it afterwards, and the idea was that the expectations that we bring into a screening room at every level, you know, the most casual moviegoer or, you know, the lead critic for the New York Times, that plays a part in, in how we think about a movie and, and our feelings about it afterwards. So uh, I have to ask then, because I know that I, this is something I juggle with around this time of year, the films that you know that you need to see, and I'm, I'm going to totally tell on myself here and say that that movie for me right now is Past Lives. The movies that you know that you need to watch before the end of the year that are definitely like quality and contenders and front runners. And so you want to go see them. It's impossible to divorce 12 months, you know, a year, six months, whatever of, of conversation about it and be able to go in kind of with the cleanliness that you want and sort of that clean slate you want. Is that something that you feel like you have to navigate a little bit this time of year is when you're catching up on stuff that everybody else has been talking about for six months? Um, I don't think so because i i long ago kind of like forced myself to not take like i i don't people talk about oftentimes they'll after a bunch of build up they'll go see a movie and they'll think and eh, it's okay it doesn't live up to the hype is what they say mm -hmm. and it's like well that's you know something of your own creation like to mean what you just said basically so that's not the movie's nothing to do with the movie yeah but of course movie, that's entirely you um so i don't other than again pet like, talents that i know i love if they have a new movie come out i get excited for that personally um but that aside, you know, a whole bunch of critics loving, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, does really nothing for me. Um, I do avoid other reviews. I do avoid, you know, the long tweets from letterbox, you know, entries about these movies. I can't avoid like a quick tweet. I can't avoid like somebody just saying it in my ear, you know, this movie is great, whatever. But I, I do avoid any kind of long form talk on these things. So I may know a movie is, you know, being praised to high heaven, but I don't know specifics about it. So I find that helps. Also, I would add that Past Lives is currently currently my number one of this year. Adore it. Absolute best movie of the year um, in my eyes. 
So I would you know highly recommend <laughs> that you get on it. No, I know uh, it, it's going back into theaters at the end of the year too, I believe. Um, uh, which is it there is there are certain films that if I don't see them in a theater, even though I might get a screening link or a screener from a studio, I'm just like I kind of want to wait until I get to see it in theaters back on on the uh, yeah. like the pre award yeah. circuit because some those kind of move the more intimate the movie the less that that I think that there's going to be happening the more I'm like I just want to like live mm. inside of it on the big screen mm. I'll see to use Donato's example like I'm more likely to want to watch a project wolf hunting at home because I'm like I get I know what that experience is going to be and it might not be the same but it's going to be like a version of that experience mm. I might have like a slow burn horror or you know, a, a really gentle dramedy or coming of age type film, something like that, that's going to hit night and day different on my television at home as it will in the movie theater. So those are the things that I'm like, if I don't see it, I'm like, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be distracted. My dog's going to be barking. I'm going to be like, yeah, it was okay. And that's going to be, like you said, Rob, no fault of the movie. So I'm like, I need that pristine distraction-free maximum viewing experience. I, I would love that to be every experience I have is is on the theater screen. Uh, no distractions, no audience, because uh, movie theater audiences are the worst. Correct. Um, and and just enjoy the movie. I would love that. Uh, that aside, knowing I can't control the audience, um, I love watching screeners at home because I you know I cast them to the TV. I got a big TV, dim the lights, close the curtains. Um, the only drawback there is occasionally certain companies will put like my name huge on the screen. Uh, you know, great for them. But uh, it's, it's definitely a distraction. Um, but yeah, I so I I, I understand that. There are definitely going to be movies, movies that I, if I can absolutely do it, I'm going to wait and try and catch it in the theater, or you know make the effort to catch it in the theater. But if I can't, I'm I'm pretty good about kind of you know zoning in. I got the phone off to the side. Yeah, you know whatever's you know I, I got it off, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 definitely can be tough though. Like those slow burns you mentioned, stuff like that. The ones that are the more character based pieces. Um, if there's not a lot of happening dialogue wise. We'll get to that with the boat, but I, I thought about that when I when I rewatched it. Um, it's the kind of movie that if you you could turn away to do something, whatever, and you're not going to think anything's happening because you don't really hear much happening, but you're missing a ton. So it's it's you, you've got to definitely stay focused on those kind of things, and it can be tough. But I don't know. Also, some movies. I mean, let's be honest. You know, thirty minutes in, you don't got to pay that much attention to it. Yeah. Donato, I'm curious. Uh, same question to you about managing expectations going into award season. Is that something you find you need to 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 think about, or do you feel like you're like Robin can kind of go in with with pretty much uh, uh, heavy on the neutral? I think so. The way I kind of go about it is I know which movies towards award season I want to prioritize, and like I think I I've gotten better at knowing what I like. I've gotten better at knowing the ones that I think are going to be in my top ten and kind of gauging like. All right, past lives, for example, once again, the minute it was described, I'm like, that is a movie I need to see. It is right up my alley. It is something that's going to be affecting for me personally. So, like, let's jump on that the minute it comes. And I did. And so, it, so I guess it's less about concerning hype. It's less about like, oh, everyone loves this. I need to see it because of that. It's more like, no, everyone has sold this correctly for me. So I'm going to make sure it goes to the top of the list. Like the holdovers, again, it is beloved by a lot of people. It's beloved by, you know, a lot of critical groups. So you would assume like, oh, it's got a bunch of hype. Like that's why you watch it. But like, no, it, it's just, again, personally a story for me that I put to the top. Um, so I, I do my best. What Rob said about like avoiding long form reviews and things of that nature, that is absolutely my rule. It's, it's a rule I do of just if I'm ever going to write about something, 
you don't read someone else's opinion until yeah. you actually form your own. So I do carry that into award season as well. Uh, it's just kind of keeps me fresh on that. But yeah, it's just my own management of my own personal likes and dislikes. I, I can kind of look at the stack of movies and go, cool, American fiction. Let's put that to the top. And it doesn't always work, too, because like Dick's the Musical, I prioritize pretty fucking quick. And holy shit, do I hate Dick's the Musical? Like, it's not always going to work. So that's that's how I know I'm still honest about it, because I go to the top of the, my list and I go, this is these are the stuff I really want to see. And that doesn't mean I'm going to like it. I'm going to get a Dick's. I'm going to get a Wonka. And I think it's dog shit. Like, that's just life. It's true. Wonka is dog shit. Everyone's fucking wrong. That is one that I'll fight everyone on. I don't get that. You know, you guys, Chalamet is a a notorious listener to Certified Forgotten. You're really, you're really killing our celebrity audience here. Well, he should know that he made a mistake by starring in that film because he's terrible at it. (laughs) Well, at least we know it's not a musical because if it was, they would have advertised it as such. Um, Last question. And then I want to talk about the boat, Rob. Talking about prioritizing, um, you know, shedding a light on new films and things of that nature. What are some titles off the various versions of genre list? Because this is a horror podcast and we're going to have horror fans listening, obviously. Uh, what are some titles that maybe aren't the top of your list, but the things you want people to to seek out? The things that you're like, maybe this is in the special mentions of another list. Maybe this is 21 on a list of 20 horror films somewhere else. What do you want to not fall through the cracks this year? What do you want to not be talking about as a podcast guest again in four years on Certified Forgotten? Uh, that's good because I want to highlight some of the ones towards the top, that, but I want to, yeah, huh, good question. Well, so I, I haven't actually formulated my, I'm doing a top 15 for both action and then I'm doing a top 15 for horror this year mm-hmm. um, on top of uh, my, you know, my general top 15 of every film. Um, and on the uh, horror front, these are ones I'm assuming will make the cut, but who knows, really. Um, I did like Jen Wexler's The Sacrifice Game quite a bit um, after really hating her first film, The Ranger. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that one is is a pleasant surprise. Um, obviously, some of the bigger films, but uh, I'm a huge fan of A Haunting in Venice. Kenneth Branagh's third... Uh, pro- pro- I can't pronounce it. Wow, roll. There you go. His Agatha Christie movie. Um it's a uh, it's a low key chiller. It's it's great. Um, it's got a lot of uh, emotionally affected beats in there, and he's continues to just kind of like just kill it with that character. He's so good. Um, it's kind of tangential horror, but it, I, I think it, it counts. I put it um, on my list on the playlist, so I, it totally counts. I think. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Good. Um, let's see some other festival stuff. Um, hmm. What's another one? You know, one that no one else is liking that I'm a. Uh, a huge fan of is the new uh, Netflix one, Leave the World Behind. Hmm. Um, everybody's dogging that movie, but I I think it's fantastic. And it's kind of more of like an existential horror mm-hmm. type situation. So some people are playing, aren't even considering it horror, but um, I think it's just really smart. It's a very attractive film and it has the, uh, the, the smarts to end without really, you know, confirming certain things, um, oh. which I, I'm always a fan of. Um, all I know about uh, all I know about I haven't seen the movie. All I know about that is that that was the book that tore my wife's book club apart. Like they read <laughs> they read that and they like they, some people just didn't finish it and a few people were mad at other people for not finishing it and a bunch of people were like I really didn't like it and it was at that point that like a couple of people in the book group were like all right I don't, I don't think we need to keep this going anymore. So that's where that sits in my pantheon is like that was the that was the book that ruined the book club. So I can't wait to watch the movie. Wow, okay. Well that makes me excited to read the book actually. Um, another one I loved actually that it will be on the top five of my list is uh John Hyams uh, Sick, 
the slasher. Yeah. It, it kind of hit. I think it hit like Peacock or something like that in January, after having like a brief festival run in uh, at the end of twenty twenty two. I'm a huge, huge fan. That to me is like the best slasher of the year. I know there are bigger contenders with Thanksgiving and Scream Six, both of which I like quite a bit. But Sick to me is just uh, top of the game there. So I think people should give that one a shot as well. Uh, Brooklyn Forty Five, Ted Gagan's new movie. Uh, again, low key. Um, it's horror, though. I mean, it's it's, it's like a period piece, World War Two, uh, but it's got some good, chilling moments in there. Great performances, some really fun beats. Uh, so that one's a big one for me. I don't know. The rest of a lot, a lot of our studio ones, but some of the festival ones that I know Donato doesn't want to talk about. Hang on, there's a kid screaming in the background. There she goes. Uh, let's see, New Life. You see that one, Donato at Fantasia? Well, yeah, but it's not out this year. Right, but it's pretty great. It's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can hype up stuff because people, you know, uh, this is podcaster discovered at different times. Somebody might listen to this for the first time next year and be like, oh, perfect. This movie comes out this weekend. Exactly. And also, I assume that you have international listeners. And guess what? It's out in some other countries. Did Nato. Fair. That's actually a fair point. You know what? Actually, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Um, the conference is a slash. Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that one. Not only talked about that one, but it's like a fun little slasher. Um, was it Norwegian or Swedish? Something like that. I don't remember. Swedish. Yep. Yeah. Swedish. Um, it, it's just, but it's really solid. Um, you don't expect it from that title, or again, no one's talking about it. But it's on Netflix. So I highly recommend it. Um, I really like the Boogeyman, which I didn't. Nobody seemed to really kind of latch onto, but um, it's it's. I think it really captured a lot of the. Uh, the horror beats and handled the grief element that too many studio movies are trying to get these days with the horror movies and they don't quite work. But I think that one, I don't know. It, it, it did it in a way that wasn't like, you know, overbearing. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a ton. I will say my number one real quick is, is uh when evil lurks, you know, it's a small little movie, but it's uh absolutely the best horror movie of the year. Um, and I think it's on shutter. And it's again, small ones, foreign language. A lot of people aren't going to watch it, but they absolutely should. I didn't like it. Broke my well, heart. No accountant for taste. No, that's why you, uh, Donato and I uh, serve as the spare mat. If one of us have a particularly bad opinion on a movie, you've got a backup to fill the spot. That's probably smart. Well, I was going to say it's my favorite of the year. So I am. I am. Yep. It is. The, it is the contrast of, of Donato Monogle movies of this year where it's my number one and Monogle's. No, thank you. So, but it's also <laughs> if you were to guess as to which one of us would have liked it, it's 100 percent a Monogle movie. So, you know, uh, variety is the spice of life. That's true. That's true. I'll have to ask you later as to what your problem with it is, because I'd be curious how you're so wrong. But we can save that for later. <laughs> it's fine. My number one of the year is Pope's Exorcist. So, you know, at least we agree about something. <laughs> I, okay, I thought I'm I kidding. I, lo- I do love it. I love it, but it's not. I, one. I love that movie. I, I, I put that one off. I, I made a mistake in putting it off. I mean, I like the people involved in it, but I'm like, well, this is going to be like, you know, a big dumb pile of shit. Um, and then I finally watched it and I had an absolute blast with it. You know, the horror elements are great. Crow is fantastic um just everything about it and i'm absolutely down for the fact that they've already announced a sequel to it so i i'm i'm stoked you know i we're we're going to talk about the boat but i will say just as an ending piece there everybody says they want 90s horror until they get 90s horror and then they're like ugh, i didn't like that it's like what the hell man like what what are you waiting for this is 90s horror like this is yeah. what you want like embrace yes. embrace it or stop pretending like dark yeah. castle needs to make a resurgence a- yeah, anyways absolutely off my soapbox we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about the movie that Rob brought us for his return episode, which is The Boat. And guess what? It is indeed a festival film. So we're going to talk about it in just a sec. We'll be right back. 
Hi, Matt Monagle here. If you love listening to the Certified Forgotten Podcast as much as we love making it, then you might be interested in signing up for our free weekly newsletter. Each week, we provide a roundup of the articles, podcast episodes, and patron-exclusive content we published for our community. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com slash certifiedforgotten and click on the Join for Free button. No payment information is required, and you'll be added to our mailing list immediately. So if you'd like more insight into the best horror films you haven't seen, visit www.patreon.com slash certifiedforgotten and join for free today. Well, welcome back. We are here to talk about the, I don't know if I should say 2018, 2019 after the conversation we just had, a horror film that played in festivals in 2018 and got wide release or limited release in 2019. We'll do it that way. The film is The Boat. It is the uh, directorial featured debut of Winston as a party. It stars his son, Joe as a party, nepotism baby. And it is about, normally I have like a little write-up for these kind of things. It's about a guy who, who gets trapped on a boat. There isn't really a description of it, I think, that would, uh, that would, that would enhance or take away from that anymore. Guy gets trapped on a boat. Single setting, uh, lockbox thriller type thing. It's played it. Previous festivals that the three of us have gone to and enjoyed, stuff like Fantastic Fest, and it is uh, it is a uh, a standout within the Malta film industry. I think is worth noting. It's filmed in and around Malta. The director Winston Azapardi is the former head of the film commission in Malta. So if you have a special place in your heart uh, for Malta or for Malta filmmaking, this is one of the standouts of that particular industry. That's my sales pitch. To go, about, for the reasons why it was actually brought onto the podcast, I'm going to turn to Rob Hunter. Rob, what made you pick The Boat? Uh, it's a movie I've loved since 2018, when the film was released. 2018, The Boat, <laughs> a 2018 picture. Um, if you are familiar with the site Film School Rejects, they every year do a list of the year's best uh, horror films. And I believe that year, The Boat was number one of uh, 2018's best horror films. So that's saying something right there. Um but no one's seen it. <laughs> it's the problem. Um, it's a. Uh, I can understand it. I see why it's not a flashy film. Um, there's not a, you know jump scares. There's not a a, a creature. Um, is not. It's it's not. It's just not like a like a hyper you know fast moving film. It, it feels like a boat ride, um, but in the best possible way. You know uh, the danger, the thrills, the fun, the relaxed satisfaction at the very end of it. Um, it's a movie that I want more people to see. I don't know if it's actually still on Amazon Prime, but it was for a little while. Um, I bought a Blu-ray imported from Germany, and uh, and I just rewatched it today. Still love it. Um, and I don't think, like I said, there's not very many reviews of it up on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is your metric for this this podcast of yours. There's nine on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we try and stick to ten or fewer. Perfect. Um, then yeah, so it, it's it deserves more. Um, it just deserves more eyeballs. It's it is like to your point about it being like a single location thing. He's he's trapped in the boat, but he's also not. I mean, he's able to kind of get off it here and there, but without spoiling much on there, the, the boat kind of um, uh, I don't know. We we're able to get into things right on the movie. Yeah, without and I would say for this particular movie, if we can't get into things, we don't have a ton to talk about. <laughs> so okay. we should probably get into it. Right. Well, then, then very straightforward. I mean, it's the, the the boat seems to be playing games with him um, to a degree. There's there's something is amiss. He, he gets on the boat. He finds it after going through a little bit of fog. 
gets on from his little little tiny fishing boat, um, discovers that his fishing boat is now gone. So now he's trapped in the boat. Radio doesn't work. Um, there's nobody on the boat. He's, he's can't quite figure out what's going on. Uh, engine, you know, he's, he's got to fit, fiddle with that to get it going. So he starts kind of sailing, thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to take it back to where I started. But he sails, and he cannot see land anywhere around him. He just is like, what is happening here? Um, and then he, you know, ends up in a in the, in the bathroom. He goes to use the bathroom at one point, and the door closes behind him and locks. And um, the entire sequence uh, is a great nod to that Samuel part from Dead Calm, Philip Noyce movie, uh, where he's trapped on the big boat um, as it's like, you know, sinking and stuff like that. And um, because it, the, the intensity just ramps up, he's trapped in this room, he's got to get out. And so this movie does that, but it does it repeatedly throughout the, the, the length of the film, which I think is only like like 90 minutes. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, a relaxation and a build up suspense, you know, some thrills and then, you know, release and then a build up release. And it does it throughout the film because he's trapped in this boat that is actively trying to kill him. Um, it is, it's just as a fascinating film. And I love the interplay between them. I mean, the boat isn't given a personality necessarily. And there are little things to suggest, oh, is somebody else on the boat? Is someone just playing with him? Or is this, you know, some kind of supernatural thing? I mean, the answer, I think, becomes clear. But uh, it just constantly keeps you on your toes. Uh, it's also very smart. I don't know how long you want me to talk about this movie, but it's a very smart film, I think. Um, usually this kind of film, you find yourself yelling at the protagonist, you know, more than once saying, oh, why would you do that? But this guy is 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 on it. He's making the smart choices. Um, when he get, does get trapped and when the boat is, you know, making a move against him, he, he is making some smart reactions and, you know, some ways to kind of get out of it. Um I don't know. It, it just is such a great film. There's very little dialogue. It's just one guy, one character in the entire film. So you hear him like trying to get the radio working. You hear him calling out hello, but there's no one else for him to talk to. So it is a mostly a dialogue-free film, um, like a survival thriller. It's like uh, that Robert Redford film, All is Lost, mm -hmm. but with a supernatural bent as he just spends the entirety of the film trying to survive uh, the situation he finds himself in. Um, and you build up to the end, and it feels like there's like a begrudging respect between the boat and him, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm absolutely in love with this movie. Uh, the main performance, like you said, is the director's son. Um, he's just, it's nothing flashy. It's a solid performance. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's a physical performance because he, he kind of has run through the ringer here. Uh, I don't know. It just, like I said, it just keeps you on your toes, just like it keeps him on his toes. Just like the boat keeps him kind of like constantly aware and, and afraid as far as what's, what's happening next. Donato, did you get a chance to see this when it played at Fantastic Fest? I did not get to see it when it played the festival. Got it. Or actually, wait, no, I take it back because I know I went off of Rob's recommendation and I believe Rob recommended it to me at the festival. And I think I got home from Fantastic Fest and had a few more days. So I actually do think I saw it as part of the festival, quote unquote, just not there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely took this as one of the times, you know, I trusted my, my friend Rob Hunter. And he's like, nope, best of the year, best of everything. So I gave it a watch and very much echo everything that he said. I, I really like the conversation about, you know, oh, well, like, is it horror? Is it scary and stuff like that? Because uh, my mom, when I was watching it on a rewatch here, you know, she's not watching it with me, but she'll come in and out as I'm watching a film. And that's it's exactly what she said. She's like, oh, is this a horror movie? Like nothing scary has happened. And that that's while he's trapped in the bathroom trying to get like peek his head out the little window that he can't even fit his entire head out and like my claustrophobia was kicking in huge so and to water, me i'm like oh yeah, no, this is yeah. 
right water's rising he can't get out of the room there's the tiniest sliver of a window that is basically his only exit but it's not so it's, it makes it even worse so yeah like it's it's how we define horror it's what it is there's no monster there's no creature but i mean claustrophobia is a fear and like fear is terrifying so it very much hits hits on the horror levels for me uh especially trapped in that bathroom for what i think is like a third of the movie it feels like he's he's in there a good amount which is good because that's where a lot of action takes place and i really uh respect the filmmaker for once again echoing rob it's a smart film and i respect the filmmaker finding so many ways to put his character not only in peril but let him escape that peril for a little bit too because he's stuck on a sailboat and it's like how much can you really get into but no like this is a fisherman who knows his way around a boat he's fixing things he's like able to adjust mechanical issues he's able to play with the sails and get things going the right way so the entirety of the i think it's 82 minutes on the nose the entirety of that time is not wasted like you find so many ways to stay engaged and so many ways to be like yeah oh my god he's gonna get out this time and there's just such a great moment where if we're talking about the respect between character and boat because they're both characters hilariously um when the character goes out basically he he makes a makeshift raft with some pontoons and a door and he goes out to sea because he thinks everything is sinking and he's just sitting there watching the boat and is basically like, you son of a bitch, you're not going to sink, are you? And like, he has to go back on the boat. And it's such an, it's such an interesting moment because there, again, there is a respect there where like, I got away from you. Now you're finally dying, but damn it, I still need you. And ah, it's good. It's good. And it's mutual too, because at one point he ends up in the water um, when the boat, because he, he's, he gets on the dinghy thinking he can get to, because like the sailboat's not moving. He gets on his little uh, makeshift raft to try and make his way to a ship he sees in the distance. And as he's rowing it, like, you know, he looks behind him and the sailboat has started going like at full speed is now charging him from behind. And so he gets kind of gets knocked into the water. And so he spends a little bit of time in the water, uh, which has its own whole set of fears as things are bumping you underneath the surface and stuff like that. And it's at night. Um, and then as after he gets through all that, the boat, you know, slowly comes back into into view and next to him again. So he can get back on again because the boat wants to keep playing. You know, the boat wants to keep this going. It's enjoying this back and forth. Um you're kind of wondering like, okay, you know, has, has the boat done this before? Uh, you know, whatever is in charge of this is, is, you know, this is the latest, you know, victim or whatever. Uh, you, you don't really know the boat's name is, what was it? Aeolus, I think, which is the, the God of, of wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of wonder, is there a kind of a playfulness there as well? Um, you know, playing with human toys kind of thing. Um, it's just a lot to you know let you kind of wonder and think about as this guy is fighting for his life, you know, on and off this boat. And it just is like, like I said, for me, it's just constantly engaging and constantly there's kind of a wit about it. And again, there's no like wisecracks and there's no, the, the boat doesn't talk or anything like that, but just the back and forth. At one point we trapped in the bathroom and then, you know, suddenly the door is, you know, unlocked or a door. Cl- I mean, it's just, it just is constantly playing with him and, you know, his reactions to it and his, you know, what he tries to take advantage of and what he falls prey to. It just is, it's just constantly I don't know. It's just constantly engaging. And to me, it's just really well done. It's also a very attractive film, I think, too. Yeah. Okay, but if the boat had a voice, who would voice the boat, though? Well, I think that would ruin the film, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just go for broke. (laughs) Watch out for the wind. No, I hear him as like a Keith David. I don't know why. I got Keith David's that's voice fair. in my head. I you feel like he made the boat. That's fair. That's fair. 
Well, there's there's a few interesting things. I, I mentioned before that uh, that uh, Winston as a party is is a figure within the Malta film scene, and I think that's actually, it's actually kind of important in the understanding of how this movie got made, which is he is primarily a producer. He's worked on a lot of really big films that have shot at least in part in Malta. He's worked on stuff like Troy. He worked on Ridley Scott's Napoleon earlier this year. He's a producer on a lot of these films and miniseries. Uh, but also really importantly, both Winston and his son Joe grew up on the water. They both used to sail competitively in and around Malta and you know, in interviews at Fantastic Fest and other festivals, they've talked about how they've gotten kind of away from it. But Rob, I think it goes to the point that you made, which is like the the intelligence of this film comes through in the little things. Like you know this is not going to be a um an exploitative or kind of like grindhouse style movie the moment he ties off the boat, uh, his dinghy to the big boat at the beginning. And he just like casually fires off. I don't even, I'm not a knock guy. I don't know what it is, but like he just casually fires off what you recognize, even as a lay person is like a complicated and and good and like sturdy knot. And he's not looking at his hands while he's doing it. He's kind of like looking up and scanning. You're just like, Oh, there are things that maybe these, this director and this performer know how to do and are capable of doing on screen that other people couldn't. And that bears out over the course of the film, whether it's, you know, adjusting the rigging on the boat, whether it is kind of the way that they explore the different areas or the way that they use maps and stuff. There's just sort of an, an element of, I believe that this character knows how to do this, that other films work so hard to yeah. achieve and never come close to. Yeah. And often drop the ball on like they'll, they'll, they'll other films will hit one or two things where the character is like, even again, to me, a lay person is like, you know, what are you doing? This character, I, I, you never question him. You know, you you see a situation, and even if you're thinking, okay, what's he going to do, whatever. Sometimes he does the obvious thing. Sometimes he, he kind of like you know thinks outside the box. Um, but he's he's not a character you're you know at any point going to yell at and call a fucking idiot, which is a very common occurrence in you know in horror or in um, you know survival films. Um, so yeah, they know what they're doing, and I think it translates beautifully to the to the character into the film into the experience. Because you are watching somebody who is, um, you know, a, a competent, uh, knowledgeable person going up against something they don't understand, but what they do understand are the physical, you know, aspects of what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They can't explain why it's happening, but they know how, you know, a boat engine works or a lock works or whatever, um, or the rigging on the boat. So I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's something that takes full advantage of the locale of their boat knowledge. Um, and it gets across so much again without dialogue. You don't have to have the characters explaining things, what they're doing. Um, like we, at one point, he's reaching through the window to cut the, um, the the rigging for the sail to stop it in the middle of a storm. It's it's made very clear what he's doing and why he's doing it. You're never wondering like, oh, you know, what's going on here. It's very clear, and it's great that this character knows to do this. And so it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I already said the word, but I mean, it's just constantly engaging, and you're you're kind of in there with him in this very visceral um, experience he's going through. Well, I also think that's a testament to Joe as a party as an actor, um, because the film itself does not work without a strong central performance. Uh, I I know all of us have seen plenty of horror movies and plenty of survival thrillers. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a survival thriller, especially a single location one that doesn't have the strongest lead actor. And, you know, it's just a huge issue because that's the person we're stuck with. That's the person that we're relying on this entire time. And when your lead actor can't really convey whether that's the danger or whether that's anything that you have to convey, like 
the, your range has to be huge here. You've got 80 minutes in a lockbox and you have to keep us thrilled, entertained, all of those things. And I think Joe as a party does that to a pretty tremendous effect, uh, given the fact that he really doesn't have any lines. And, you know, I, I think especially of that scene Rob is talking about where he's trapped in a bathroom that's already tight quarters because you're talking about a single sailboat uh, bathroom and his arm is reaching out the window. There is like, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, there's a piece of boat that is hitting his hand and basically crushing it as he's trying to cut the rope. And while that's happening, he is dehydrated and maybe like drank salt water and he's now vomiting. So like all this is happening at the same time as he is in his highest moment of panic. And it, it like, he's selling the fuck out of it. Like, I don't, there's no, I don't want to say anything else about it. Like he's just selling the absolute hell out of that scene. And you feel the, the physicality, you feel that he's beaten down and broken, but at the same time is not giving up. And that's such a huge element of this film is that once again, you believe that he's not ready to like throw in the towel. You believe that he wants to get off this boat and actually survive. There's, there's no like fabricated sense of hero heroism or that like second wind or anything. What as a party is able to deliver as the, you know, this lead performance is a fisherman stuck on a fucking supernatural boat is leagues above what I was expecting the first time I saw it. And I think that that, that becomes kind of like the performance itself, I think plays into the overall strength of the movie, which again, when you go through interviews, uh, father and son are pretty candid about the fact that they fought a lot during the production over the script, over backstory. Um, Joe as a party talks a lot about the fact that he wanted flashbacks or like some kind of like personal relationship type piece in order to give the performance weight. But I think what that does is rather than giving him big moments that, that, you know, kind of carry the emotions of the scene, I think this is a movie about reacting, not acting, right? Like everything that as a party is doing on screen is basically be like, shit, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, shit, okay, I'm going to do this. And I think that, that that makes it as easy as it's ever been to carry a one-person movie by only ever having to kind of respond to the thing that's happening to your character at that moment, um, which is which is great. Like it worked. Like, I can't imagine, and they both in interviews talk about it, and Joe as a party is like, I was absolutely wrong. But I can't imagine what would happen if you had a few cutaways or flashbacks and like what his girlfriend back home, will he ever get back to her? It would have destroyed the whole flow of the thing because it's that that like functional watching somebody like build the Ikea furniture-ness of it all where you're just like, oh, this is going really well. I mean, it's going really terribly, but like I believe that you know what you're doing and I will watch you do that for an hour and a half. I think the visuals pair with that as well because I mean, to the same degree, when you watch a lot of the movies that are like the single location, whatever, there is always a risk that that location is going to grow stale, just like the lead performance could, but the location could grow stale. Um, and here there's a risk that, oh, we could feel too confined or too kind of shut off from the world. But you do always feel like you're out on the ocean. I think the shots are great. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the the boat, they move around the boat beautifully. Um, exteriors, you know, down in the cabin, but also the, the wide shots where you're just looking and there is just no land, just as like nothing. And it, it feels like you're out there. It doesn't feel like you're in a tank somewhere aside from the dolphin scene. But I mean, so you, you're definitely feeling as if you are out there. You're looking everywhere and you are in the middle of nowhere and this is a situation. So it doesn't never, doesn't, you know, never feels like a, um, like too confined or too, uh, well, still being claustrophobic um, or too stale or too kind of like, you know, dull. There's always something visually going on, whether it be again, just nature uh, or the threat of like, you know, a door, you see an open door, that door can be closing. But there's enough going on that, you know, the movie kind of teaches you that everything is in play. Um, and I think uh, 
one of the things I love, there's a scene where he early on before anything really goes wrong, he's trying to take a, a, a pee break off the side of the boat and the, the boom comes over and knocks him and tries to knock him in the water. He's, he, you know, recovers, gets up, whatever. And then, you know, he doesn't get anything of it. He thinks he just came loose. So that's what brings him to the bathroom. So it's almost like the, the boat is again, kind of maneuvering him and shaping him and directing him because mm-hmm. he gets to the bathroom to go to the bathroom instead of off the side and boom, now he's locked in there. So the boat is just constantly kind of, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And, yeah, his it's his reaction to these just constant, you know, threat um, of, of what this thing is doing to him. Again, like set against uh, visuals that you completely buy. You, you never feel like you're on a soundstage. You never feel like you're in, you know, a box somewhere. It just feels like, bam, we are out in the middle of nowhere with this guy on the ocean. Uh, and this is a nightmare. And he, he just is trucking through it. Like, you know, he's pissed. He's angry. He, he gets scared. But he's, you know, trucking through it because like Mike Matt said, He's there to survive and he's got skill sets, but will they carry him through as the question? And there's there's also the tiny little hint that, hey, maybe someone is on this boat. I mean, we pretty much know there's not. And that's just once again, the boat messing with him. And I love that. It's like really driving into his psyche because, of course, like a boat couldn't lock its bathroom door on its own like that's That's not possible. But so that adds a layer to where the the mania of what's happening and like the surrealness of what is going on of like maybe there is someone there maybe there is someone doing a great job hiding around every turn right right yeah and so that again that's the boat playing with them you hear footsteps you hear these little things and i think like that's once again another little additive a clever little twist that keeps your mind racing and trying to find ways to explain what's going on so just another little little twist and turn that the movie does that you might know pretty clearly that no one else is there, but the boat makes you believe. It it, it gives the it offers a possibility, um, and it, it's, it's, like I said, it's never. I, I think there's a definitive thing at the end as far as whether it's supernatural or whether someone's playing with them, whatever. But it still doesn't say here's exactly what's happening. Right. You know, here's here's a little you know diary in the in the in the boat in the cabin of the boat explaining you know whatever curse or whatever. It doesn't get any of that. It just says here's the situation. Um, something's fucking with you, you know, try and survive. And uh, again, I, I don't want to reiterate it, but I'm going to, that my favorite thing is the way that the, you kind of get the sense that this boat grows to respect him over the course of the film. Um, the one, the fact that it wants to keep playing with him, but two, you know, once you get to that ending, it feels like it's just as like, you know, Hey, you're a worthy opponent, a worthy you know, competitor, you know, ha- have a good rest of your day kind of thing. It just is so, I just love it because it's a wonder, but it's also, again, and it, it's just to their history of, of, you know, sailing and being out in the water. It leaves you with that, you know, final note of like, it is a fucking mystery out there. You know, there's so much outside of our control. Once you get out on the water, you think, you know, what you're doing. And this guy knows a lot. He's able to, you know, try and survive, whatever. But there's a lot more going on than we're ever going to understand. And the movie kind of acknowledges that. And the lead character, I think he kind of, you know, accepts it as well by the end. Um it just is a beautiful film, I think, all around. Yeah, and I, I'm definitely pro uh, bored Greek gods as the read. It ties to the maltiness of it all. I think it's a. It yeah. makes it. It makes this weirdly sort of like a a pan a stealth pantheon movie in a way that I really enjoy. Uh, it is time, as always, for the last question on Certified Forgotten, and we've already addressed this a little bit, uh, Rob. When you introed the film, you talked about how. Um, how hard it, it's not hard to find you can rent it for 3.99 on amazon i did but but how how gone it is from a lot of cultural conversations 
about uh, about horror films and about the kind of stuff that's been coming out the last few years. So as always, we'll start with you, Robin, then go to you, Donato. How does this movie become unforgotten? How does where where and how do you see this kind of re-entering as as a festival movie or as a darling or as something that a lot of horror fans, genre fans, sailing fans are going to gravitate around and be like, you definitely have to see this film. Um, well, one, I, I think that what it would need here is a uh, a U.S. video label like Terravision, Brad Henderson, um, to pick it up and give it a U.S. release, U.S. disc release. I think that would be number one. It needs to get like an actual physical release over here, which will get more people talking about it just off, off the top because it's not going to play festivals again. Um, it's not going to hit you know, be, be a big splash on other streaming service. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you know, like sometimes something will appear on Netflix, an older film, and suddenly it becomes like, you know, the a viral thing and everyone's watching it and talking about it. Um, I don't see this being that. I would love it. But I mean, it's so really the only hope for it would be, you know, more people talking about it um, and getting a video release. Um, I think it's important, though, because uh, I think unlike any other genre of film, Horror is so good about having so many nooks and crannies, uh, you know, of types of movies. And like Donato was saying earlier, some people might question if this is horror. It absolutely is horror. It's survival horror. It's a guy fighting for his life against an unknown force. It's um, a, it's, I, it fits right alongside like an open water. You know, this yeah, is it's go, that kind go. of movie. Yeah, yeah. right. But yeah, and it's so it's a, so I I love like you know hardcore stuff like the sadness. I love you know uh, emotional you know deep you know painful horror, animal attack stuff. There's so much of variety and, you know, horror comedies and this thing fits in there is just kind of, again, survival horror, but one person against, you know, a boat. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it seems silly, but it's not something like Christine. It's not, you know, uh, that 70s movie about the possessed bulldozer. It's not that it's a, you know, a serious survival tale that just happens to have, you know, as an antagonist, uh, a boat, a nice sailboat. Um but I think so. Anyway, I think it needs a physical release. I think that'll get people talking about it again. And until then, I'm just going to keep reminding people on Twitter um, that it's the best horror film of 2018. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to say how do you put this back in the conversation when it was never part of the conversation. Uh, and like that sucks to say, but it is one of those festival darlings that found its small audience at a festival like it didn't even win that much besides in like the malta film festival award like apparently it did very well uh domestically for them but yeah it plays fantastic it plays fantasia it hits a few people the right way and then it just kind of dies to death and that is unfortunate because this happens to so many films uh that we see at festivals and that is why we do this podcast and that is why we do what we do but it needs it needs that physical release stateside and it needs a push after that too it needs it needs someone like with huge clout to find it and just start really throwing it around because you know as much as we can do for our listeners and as much as we can do for our smaller audience like it's still, you know, that reach has dwindled so much with fucking muskrat killing Twitter and shit like that. So it, it does need that huge uh, kind of push behind a physical release because, you know, it, it's that it's that claustrophobia. It's all that like really good paranoia, fear stuff. Like what's the fear of uh, of open water or something like that? Thalassophobia about like what is under large bodies of water. It does such a good job playing with all that shit. And I would love to like pair it with other survival horror films that are maybe more like batty and wacky, like 
fucking put it with four by four about the guy who's trying to steal a car and then gets trapped inside. Like, I, like that's the way you do it. You find a movie like that and put them together and kind of let them go. And yeah, I mean, like there's even some really fun, like we didn't even get to talk about it, but I actually researched things and I actually found like a fun explanation for the ending because I, I do want to go back to it really quickly. Like, cause Rob said it was kind of like a nice ending. And like, is that how you read that? Well, I, I don't think I used the word nice, but if I did, I apologize. I think it's a positive ending because it, it ends with uh, spoilers com- incoming, but it, it ends with the our our protagonist essentially earning his freedom and being given his freedom back because the boat takes him back to shore and lets him yeah. off. Yeah, um, and I think that's an important thing. Number one, and the second part of that is when he walks back to his his home, his little place on the on the water. His little fishing boat is back there again. So whatever was in charge of all this returned his boat to him as well. Um, and again, in my head, what I'm hearing is, you know, again, the, whatever is causing this, basically saying, you were absolutely a worthy competitor. You kept me entertained. Thank you. You know, now go about your life. And that to me is an absolute positive thing because it doesn't leave this guy terrified of the water. It leaves him terrified of what that situation was. It doesn't like, you know, leave him maimed. It doesn't leave him, you know, mentally scarred about, uh, you know, fishing. Uh, I think he's left kind of wondering what the heck was that, but I think even he would understand and accept and, and see that, you know, again, that respect that kind of went both ways. So, yes, I think to me, it's a positive ending because there's the boat sitting out there ready for the next person to come through. It's yeah. How do you see it as negative? So I read his final reaction as I, I think he is in disbelief over what he just did, but like my initial reading on that was fear. My initial reading on that was like, He's uncomfortable with where he is and he's a little distraught. And so I did some digging and do you mind if I read a quick little thing that was this, I don't even know if this is like true, true, but this actually aligns more with what I was thinking. Um, But basically, so Aeolus, like the real Greek name or whatever, uh, the God uh, is Aeolus. So Aeolus was the divine keeper of the winds, as Rob said before, uh, and the king of a mythical floating Island named Aeolia. Aeolia pronunciation stuff like that uh he kept a violent storm he kept the violent storm winds locked safely away inside a cavernous interior on his island and released them only at the command of the greatest god to wreak devastation upon the world so Odysseus once visited his island and he was entrusted with the bag containing all the storm winds to ensure a safe voyage home however during the trip the hero's greedy companions opened the bag and searched for gold and the escaping winds carried their ship all the way back to Iolos's shore. So basically what you get from that and what that kind of gets to is the character was carried by uh, Aeolus to live trapped on that island forever. And that's why you see uh, the other boaters who were there that, who are on the island. Because in the beginning, there is no one else there. It's just him. It's him and his boat. But when he goes back there, there's more people, there's more boats. And that's everyone who the, the boat has brought back to its island to leave there. And they're all trapped there for eternity now. Um, that's a great interpretation, but I, I reject it. I think, <laughs> um, I, th- I think the beginning of, of, of what you read there is accurate enough. I think you can stop right there, which is that um, the god uh, controls the winds and only lets them out for, for whatever reason you said. So that fits as to what is happening here. This, this, again, this, this playful god um, just wants to kind of interact with, uh, you know, with these nothing things, which are people. Um, and I think that it's, he's probably you know, drowned more than a few of them over the years. Um, and I think that this is the, you know, one of the rare people, if not the first to actually, um, you know, again, put up, show resistance, put up a fight, um, you know, outthink it, outwit it, you know, keep, keep it going and then survive. And so I think that it's the place 
looks too similar, I think, to where he came from, especially that opening, because that opening in the rocks is the exact same one he went out in the beginning of the movie. So I don't know why that would be also on this mystical island. So I reject your your thesis, and I say instead that he is maybe not thrilled, but he is happy to be alive, um, fearful, and aware that uh, we just don't know what the fuck is out there. And I think that's kind of his... Like, as, as comfortable as he's been on the ocean, now he's, like, thinking, Jesus, we really don't know. And that is the kind of, like, the wonder of uh, of what the gods are capable of. Monogle, you're the deciding boat. Um, I think he's dead. I think the boat's the river sticks, and he got carried over. I don't know. I, 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 as with everything, I like the fact that it ends in a place where both of you have very valid reads that I 100% believe that you believe them, which is not a, a backhanded compliment. It's just... Movies that end in a place where people can walk away being convinced of alternate endings without the movie feeling the need to tip its hand one way or the other are always going to be my favorite kind of films. And the fact that it does all of this with like some real Greek God shit is fun because Greek gods kick ass and we should have more movies that lean into that these days that aren't, you know, Jamie Lannister, uh, Alex Proyas films, no disrespect, gods of Egypt, but let's, uh, let's, let's keep that vibe going. Whoever who, Go. Here's my thing. Go watch the boat. Go tell people to watch the boat, and then write your own screenplay for a Greek god horror movie. Because I will watch that shit every day of the week. I will also watch that. Rob and I and Donato, I assume, will watch the movie for you. Uh, but for now, we're going to leave you with the boat, which is available to rent, not stream, but is available to rent in a couple of different places. Uh, go watch it. Go tell you what you think. Talk to uh, Rob and Matt on social media and let them know which reading you side with in the very end. Speaking of social media and muskrat, uh, Rob, thank you for coming on the show. Where do people go if they want to connect with you to see, you know, you talk about the things that you're watching, places like Letterboxd, social media, where's your uh, writer portfolio, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm on Letterboxd. That's it? Just Letterboxd? Yeah. I'm on Twitter as Fake Rob Hunter. I'm on Letterboxd as Fake Rob Hunter. Uh, and I'm writing stuff over at Film School Rejects. Um, I usually keep like a running thing on uh, Twitter saying what I'm watching now. I Today, I just posted a picture of the Blu-ray of the boat and, and tagged it with now rewatching. And somebody very um, politely and kindly DM'd me to say, for what it's worth, you want to hold the DVD further away from the camera, perhaps tilt it a little bit. And then you take the picture and then you can pinch zoom in to avoid reflections and such. So I thought that was nice of, of, of someone to comment. Um, but yeah, those are the three main places social media wise. I, I don't really discuss movies anyplace else on social media, although I'm only ever on Instagram. It's not Twitter and uh, Letterboxd. So. Uh, but yeah, fake Rob Hunter, Twitter and Letterboxd and then Film School Rejects. Awesome. Donato, for people that side with you on the great boat God debate of 2023, uh, how do they connect with you? Where do they see what you're working on? Yes, uh, you can find me much warmer and not trying to shiver through my words on this podcast. That I think I got frostbite on because I am so fucking cold. Uh, but yes, find me at Donatobomb, D-O-N-A-T-O-B-O-M-B, on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, sometimes on Blue Sky, rarely on TikTok, but still playing around with it. And yeah, I can uh, hit you up with my best of year list stuff like that. A lot, a lot in the pipeline. So I don't know. My my brain is frozen. Just get me out of here. Support our Patreon. Most of our money goes towards our writers. Apparently, some of our money goes to uh, replace Donato's fingers that just fell off uh, via frostbite. 
You can find me on social media. I have a good SEO name, Google Monocle. You'll find it. Uh, as for the site, certifiedforgotten.com. We have a Substack every Friday. We come out with uh, a quick rundown of the articles that published last week and why we're so happy to have them on the site. We have podcasts and all the places you find podcasts and uh, Instagram, Blue Sky, Twitter, Facebook. We're just going to keep throwing things at the wall until something sticks. It's been a year now and nothing has stuck, but we have our homes and we're happy with it. Rob, it's been good to see you. Honestly, podcasting aside, I haven't talked to you in a long time, man. It was really good to see you. It was really good to catch up. And I hope that I will see you before you return as a guest again. I don't want our, your podcast guesting to be the only time I talk about what's going on in your life. That would be nice. I, I am sadly currently uh, avoiding Texas because uh, they can go fuck themselves. Right. So I, I haven't made it down to a fantastic fest in a couple of years, also the pandemic. Um, but yeah, maybe at some point we will cross paths again. I'm sure we will. You still in California? That's the only way Donato can get me to come out. Uh, no, I'm up in Washington right now, but um, I am uh, planning a trip down to California sometime soon. I got to convince Donato to set up a poker game that I can come crash. There we go. There we go. I'll do that. You need to come, and then it'll happen. That's it. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so look forward to Great Poker Game 2024 uh, with this podcast. Donato, it is the time for you to take us out. There's five fucking lines of dialogue in the movie. I don't know what you're going to use. Give it a shot. I fucked up mermaid. That's oh, okay.